Happy New Year, everybody. We are back, and uh, hopefully you're all well and not Omicron. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, I've turned it into a verb. I'm going to make every single article of speech uh, out of Omicron before it's all done. But, um, you know, Tim, it's been a brutal week. Oh, wow, man. Um, look, they've been falling hard and fast, but i got to tell you, it's, it's been the old guard. Uh, that's that's, uh, that's going down, uh, and so so in that in that way, um, it's kind of okay. Um, uh, so I, where do we start with Peter with Betty? Uh, well, we we Betty was the last day of the year, you know, just barely two weeks shy of her one hundredth birthday. As far as I'm concerned, she made it to hundred. I'm just gonna say she she fulfilled most of that hundredth year. Yeah, she she lived ninety nine years. <coughs> Excuse me. And almost all of a hundredth year. So for my money, that counts as... Yeah, I was going to say, when people say she almost made it, I'm like, how are you people counting? <laughs> we start at zero and go forward. The yeah. first year yeah. is zero to one. Now, she's 100 freaking yeah. years old. And I, I think what, what, uh, there was a documentary in the works yeah. that I think they've renamed, you know, it, it, it was called something like Betty 100 Years or whatever. But they renamed it. Or whatever the hell they renamed it, but it was still ninety nine point nine whatever. <laughs> but there it is, Betty White, who you know, um, over my over my thirty thirty years, you know, working red carpets and, and this that and the other thing here, I ran into a lot. Where, where just, I got my Betty White. I wish this were a video podcast. Oh, now. there she and is. On which she she wrote kisses, Betty, uh, for me. Oh man, uh, uh, there and um, uh, it's just just fantastic. But you know, my favorite Betty White. Sue Ann Nivens. Sue Ann Nivens on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I, you, I don't know. Maybe you and I talked about this. I can't remember. But, but Sue Ann and, and John Amos, who's still with us, thank goodness, yeah. uh, who played uh, the weatherman. Uh, he's, he's the last. He's, he's he is truly the last. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the, the, the core that we always kind of see in the. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Gavin and Mary and Ted. He's lost Ted a long time ago. And of course, uh, Ed Asner, uh, not too long ago, actually. A lot. All last year, all, all like in the last yeah. few years. I mean, nearly that entire cast, apart from, I mean, Gavin McLeod and 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 Rhoda, all yeah. of them. They, they they like in the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted, like some some years ago, but yeah, right there. Yeah. But John Amos was on that show quite quite a bit. I loved him on that show. Uh, you know, you know, playing that weatherman, and he did, and 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 John and Betty or Sue Ann uh, on that show. Uh, just look up some scenes <laughs> that did involve. They had a thing. They had a thing, and it was really, 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 really cool. So you know, there you go. And and you know, she I, I had forgotten, but she produced her own show in 1954. <sighs> we always talk about oh, Lucille Ball was the first woman to you know produce her own show on television. But you know what, Betty yeah. White was the same. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth, uh, uh, Life with Elizabeth, I think was that was, was, it? Uh, was yeah, it on the on the air at the same time. Uh, Ricardo's is out there uh, bumbling around right now, but on the air at the same time as uh, as, yeah. as when they were recording over there, uh, Betty White. Amazing. So you know she was she 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 came on television as television became became a thing. The first time, the very 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 first time she was broadcast over the air was in nineteen thirty nine. No, nineteen thirty nine experimental sort of, but anyway, it was Betty White. So there you go, Betty. Uh, and then uh, what, what do we got? Pete, Bogdanovich. Peter, Peter Bogdanovich. You and I used to run into Peter Bogdanovich all the time when we were part of a of a of, of, yeah. of, of a different press organization. 
Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and Bogdanovich was interviewed. We weren't part of it, but Ray interviewed Bogdanovich for our documentary Schlock in New York. And, uh, he's a, I'm thrilled that he's, he's just a wonderful part of it. Uh, Roger Corman's now the only surviving interviewee for our documentary. Oh, wow. Makes me feel yeah. But, but Bogdanovich, you know, was, <clears throat> and what I didn't realize, you told me this, you know, I was looking at that photo. Uh, that, that famous photo of, you know, obese Orson Welles when he was practically homeless and he was rooming with Bogdanovich and they're shopping for groceries in that cart filled with junk food. And Bogdanovich is, <coughs> you know, just a young man. And Orson Welles is like a fat old dude wearing an ascot. And I thought, that's where he got the ascot. Yeah. He borrowed it from Orson. And then you told me, you heard it first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you, you told me himself. I, 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 I had a bunch of opportunities to, to chit-chat with Peter. Uh, you know, cross velvet ropes and red carpets or sit down interviews for this, that. Cat's Meow. What was that, 2000, 2001, yeah. something yeah. like that was... Not his way. I think he had a doc. He, he did a documentary, a doc about. I want to say Buster Keaton, maybe uh, well, a couple of months ago. Uh, not, I mean, boy, he's a, a few years ago. Um, and you know, look, here's the thing about him: he did just about everything one can do uh, in, in in the field of cinema. He was an actor. He first first yep. began as an actor. Uh, and we wrote about cinema, not unlike um, you know the guys, the guys out of the new wave, uh, and then uh, started making movies and producing movies, and then started writing histories uh, about about cinema figures and, and you know John Ford and, and, and so many people, and, um, and and while making you know the that 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 early seventies run, late sixties, early seventies run from Last Picture Show. Uh, it's amazing, and and look, he had a movie just a few years ago. I mean, it, 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 she's funny. Oh, that she's way. funny that way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which which made no money, and 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 I don't think it got a, a proper release. But I thought it was a wonderful film. I I, I I mean, I was one of the few that just thought, what a great little movie. It's just a a perfect you know throwback Peter Bogdanovich movie that would have had Barbara Streisand in it if it had been made for years ago. What's the but? Um, but you know, um, what a what a great what I mean I didn't you know he didn't have enough of a career, but what a great career he did have, and he he was a film critic originally. We forget yeah. that Esquire, yeah. you know, he started as a film critic, so he he led the way for all the rest of us. Very 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 sad, but what a what a scholar and a gentleman. I'm funny. And then I mean Sydney, dude, I I you spent the whole day yesterday just just talking about Sydney. I'm- yeah, uh, Sydney Portier, um, who who I was. I'm so lucky that I that I was able to you know again encounter him uh, late in his career, which is still <laughs> thirty years ago, in 1992, uh, when he made the movie Sneakers. You know him, Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Phil Alden Robinson film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yes, Phil Alden. Uh, a neat movie, and and I did the junket in the red carpets and all that business way back then, and so that was my moment uh, actually encountering and talking to and having a moment with Sydney Portier. Uh, um, we, we, I joke uh, with, with the guys that I actually have that interview, those interviews on tape, Beta SP. <laughs> Somewhere, yeah. somewhere. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? And you, and you know, Poitier was, he is, I mean, I'm trying to think if there are many of that stature, those those movie star giants left among us. And I mean, there's Hackman, there's... Harry Belafonte's Street, still walking around. Harry, Harry Belafonte, Jack Nicholson. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm you know, Pacino. I mean, right, there, there, there's a handful that we can kind of 
assign that that stature to. But I'm 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 still not even sure because Poitier was like a you know you've often said that he wasn't just an actor. He was sort of carrying the hopes and dreams of a whole community on his shoulders for almost 20 years. Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and, and how do you, you know, I, I've often wondered, how do you even do, how do you emerge out of that burden to still pull off the performance, knowing that you're doing both of these? You've got to be the character, but you've also got to be the icon. That's, how do you do that? And I, and I, well, well, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you what he told me. Uh, and, and he said it many times in media, if you, if you, if you look up. But, I, but way back then, um, he, he came to understand exactly what he was going to represent very early in his career. He played that doctor in No Way Out, opposite Richard Whitmark. Right. Uh, they were very good friends, by the way. Friends for, for well, you know, that from then until Richard Whitmark died, they were very good friends. Made yeah. a bunch of movies together, the long, the long, the long shifts, and you know, all this. Stuff. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, um, and, 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 and he and Richard Whitmark uh, talked talk about this, and, and Richard Whitmark told him, uh, he says, you're the best actor I've ever, ever worked with. This is Richard Whitmark talking to Sidney Poitier. You know, and Richard, he had been around for a little while then. And Sidney Poitier said, you know, I knew he was right, uh, and, 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 and that I was going to have to be that person. He made a very specific uh, decision about what that would represent, what that, what that meant, and that guided everything he decided to do from that point forward. So it was really kind of a straight line for him. Um, 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 once the decision was made, and, and he luckily was able to make it very early in his career, and then he just walked the path. That's so interesting because, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I, we obviously all have our favorite uh, roles. I mean, what's your, what is it, when you think of Sydney, what do you well, think it, of it's, it's, it's funny because I know a lot of people in, in the heat of the night, you know, they call yeah. me Mr. Tibbs and all that kind of thing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Love all that. But I go straight to Buck and the Preacher, uh, which was the first film he directed because uh, I think it was Joe Sargent. Yeah, Joseph Sargent, uh, who was the director, issues, problems, he pulled out. Sidney Portier got the film. So this sort of unexpected handed his directorial debut. Interesting. Um, uh, and, 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 and he takes this film, which, which broke even. It was not a big, gigantic box office success, but over the years it became a, a touchstone uh, for, for, for black audiences. Anyway, this, this, is, this is what Buck and the Preacher is about. Sidney uh, Portier, uh, Harry Belafonte. Sidney Poitier is a, as uh, set right after the Civil War, Sidney Poitier is a black ex-soldier, and he's leading a wagon train of black ex-slaves out it's west. A great movie. It's a great he runs movie. into Harry Belafonte, this nutty guy, and all this kind of stuff, and they eventually team up. And this film is about these two black men taking their people out west to establish a community and lives for themselves uh, and, 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 and how they're willing to do whatever it takes to get them there, how they ally, ally themselves with the Native Americans as they go, how they ally themselves with good white folks as they go there. These Because at the same time that that was happening, all these Swedes were immigrating to the United States, all this kind right. of stuff, and they allied. It's just, and it's just this really deeply complicated film um, that hits all of these beats, and this is like 1972, 73. Plus, it's funny as hell. Uh, he, he, Sidney Poitier pulled that off in his very, very first film. 
Uh, and very, and it's you know, we, it's it, his directing career is one that doesn't often get enough. No. to be honest, yeah. really particularly those early films. Look, some of the funniest films ever made were, were, were made by Sidney Poitier. Uh, first of all, let's let's do it again. Uptown Saturday Night. Let's do it again. Uptown Saturday. Oh my God! Still funny, by the way. Still hysterical. Let's do it again. Uh, 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 one for the money. And then when he started working with Richard Pryor, one of the funniest Richard Pryor films on earth, Richard and, and Gene Wilder, that is stir crazy. Yeah. That's a city 48 film. You know, it, it, it's, it's just, you know, really it goes, goes a long way, man. Well, you know, when I think of it, I go to, um, is the blackboard jungle. Oh man. What a wonderful movie. You know, because, Somebody, I was talking to somebody just a couple of days ago. I was talking about um, the awful truth as the movie where Cary Grant discovered Cary Grant. <laughs> like, right? Like, it's in the awful truth where Cary Grant says, "Oh, this is who I'm going to be," and 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 you you see it happening in that movie with Irene Dunn. You see Cary Grant figuring out his persona. Because who Cary Grant was in movies is not who Cary Grant was in his <laughs> private life, but he had to figure out who he was going to be for millions of people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in, in, in Blackboard Jungle, I got that same thing out of, mm. you know, as, as this young kid who's supposed to be kind of a delinquent, but he's not going to play the delinquent, right? He's, he's, he's giving him a certain dignity, that would that was not on the oh yeah oh yeah Glenn Ford film he's playing Glenn Ford is yeah. the teacher and and and, 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 and you know Sidney Poitier and all these kids in this room you know that's, that's, and then then what's interesting about that X number of years later what does he play just there with love now that's right. he's the teacher with all of these British kids so he's just, and, and I'm just I, you can watch those two films back to back and see how they inform each other. That's so interesting. That is so interesting. That's absolutely true. I'd never made that oh, yeah. before, but I, I, it's just it. When you watch the Blackboard Jungle, which you know at the time, Poitier is not a star. He is not a known actor. He's he, he's he's a little bit like James Dean was some years earlier. You know, you're getting your parts, and people are starting to notice you, and you're here and there. But um, you know, that's a Glenn, that's a Glenn Ford film, yeah. And and here's this kid. Here's this young black kid with this voice and this look who just takes a part that was written one way and, and gives it a whole different persona and, and knowing in hindsight, what he would become. When you watch that part, you see him doing that same thing that Cary Grant does in the awful truth. You see him saying, I know who I'm going to be. And even though this role isn't written in that, I don't care. I'm going to make this role belong to me rather than the other way around. That's a movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's a movie star move. And he, and I mean, how old is he in that movie? 21. He's probably, he's probably 21. He's, he's playing, he's playing, you know, he's playing 16, 17, but he's probably 21. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and straight off, he had done one other thing, but straight off Broadway really is where he had been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just an amazing thing. And, and look, you know, look, we, we can go on talking about the dead guys all day, but there, there's this, this moment in the in the late in the late 60s, 67, when he has those three films, Lilies, uh, 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 In the Heat of the Night, uh, 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 three major films, 67. Yeah, yeah. Um, and guess who's coming? Guess who's, guess coming, who's, to guess who's coming to dinner? And yeah. that year is particularly interesting to me as, as, as he's in the heat of the night. He's in In the Heat of the Night. 
Which I love, and I can't stand Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I like, I like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's a funny thing. Stanley Kramer. Catherine, well, first of all, Stanley Kramer wears everything. But the other part is that, that Catherine Hepburn's niece is a terrible... Oh, she can't act at all. And she's, she can't act at all. And that whole movie, all I can think of is, Sydney, why are you with me? <laughs> it's not worth it. It's just not, she's not worth it. It's not worth the trouble. Le- I will not, I will not defend her, but, but I have always defended that film. That film, that film had issues at the time vis-a-vis the black community. You know, the, yeah. Again, a section, a sector of the black community. The, the, you know, 1967, you got the up and coming black panthery types, you know, yeah. uh, and they're having issues with yeah. that film and, and carrying that film. Because it's one of those, it's one of those credit to your, credit to your lesson. But sitting, now, yeah. my mother, in her generation, not to mention my mother's mother, my grandmother's generation, yeah. they didn't have any issue with that film or Carrie in the, uh, Carrie or, or Sydney in that film at all. Uh, there was a generational divide about that, and, and it's funny that, yeah. that, that that divide continues. You know, as I, you know, in 1967, I was six, so obviously I didn't see that movie then. I saw it years later, and and I saw a different thing. I think perhaps than either one of those two groups of people. For one thing, what I saw was a young black man, Sidney Poitier's character, in that movie, saying to both the white folks in the film, Spencer and Catherine, and to his own parents in that film, father played by Glenn Morgan. You know, yeah. I'm not going to do anything either one of you people are... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Because, uh, uh, you know, and that's what's going on in that film. Uh, and... Um, but you know, but you know, various different generations thought it took. But literally that same year, he's in in the heat of the night opposite Rod Steiger, and there's a scene in that film, and you know the scene I'm about to, to, to describe. Everybody's know, seen it. We talked about it earlier. Uh, but, but you know, when when that when that old when that old white judge down south slaps him, and Sidney Poitier immediately Virgil Tibbs immediately slaps him. That was a slap heard across certainly Black America. And oh, it, it 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 and you know I I, I, t- I told you this in an email because I, I just watched the film you know about a year and a half two years ago, <clears throat> and 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 it still holds up because what's going on in their eyes and in their faces fills in mm. blanks. Even if that context it does not exist today, their their acting brings you into the context. You're absolutely right. Lives forever in that, right. and it's it is it's just a perfect. Man, for people who don't know, that was not in the script. Uh, he, he was supposed yeah. to get slapped and, and, and walk away. Uh, and, uh, and 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 it was Norman Jewison, right, Norman? No, and, and yes, it was Norman. In fact, Norman Jewison told me that whole story too. I I you know I interviewed Norman Jewison did, did an evening with him some years ago, and um, uh, I have a, you know his signed book upstairs too, which yeah. is just lovely. But he even said that was Sydney's idea. Yes, and and Sydney said he he said you know what I I, I can't allow this to happen. This is just not what that character would no. do. And and Jewison said okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, like do do it do what he would do. You know, Jewison had no problem with it. Jewison was like yeah. absolutely, and, and didn't tell him. Didn't, you know, only he and Norman knew. <laughs> and so when you right, when right. when slap. They get slapped, and what I love is that all those actors—the old, the old, the old butler standing behind them over there. Yeah. None of those. The judge plainly did not know. I love that those professional actors 
Just stay in the scene, man. Just stay in the scene. Just stay in the scene, man. I'm like, now see, those are professional actors right there. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. All right, I guess I'm over myself. (laughs) Well, and then, and then, you know, oh yes, show Marilyn Marilyn Bergman just died today. As we are recording this, Uh, great lyricist, uh, you know, married for over 60 years to her husband Alan. Uh, speaking of In the Heat of the Night, you know, lyrics to that great Quincy Jones song, uh, the all the songs for Yentl, the Michelle Legrand music, The Way We Were. I mean, their work with Streisand was was extensive. I mean, they just they were they were an amazing songwriting duo and and what a love story yeah. too. I mean, over sixty years married, writing, working together, you know, that just almost never works in the film business. And uh, uh, you know, lovely lady and she will be dearly missed and, and I feel that, uh, you know, as often happens with couples married that long and that age that Alan is not perhaps long for this world as well. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, they walk, they've been walking hand in hand for all this long. Uh, and and you know, speaking of t- ages, we we did this in email too. We were making mention. I mean, look at I mean, Steven Spielberg is seventy five. Yeah. Woody Allen is eighty six. Yeah. Ridley Scott and Morgan Freeman are eighty four. William Friedkin is eighty six. Even Meryl Streep is seventy two. Gene Hackman is ninety one, pushing ninety two. Uh, I mean, the, you know, this is a whole generation that is uh, going to age out in the next 10 years. You know, it, 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 you know, Lou Gossett Jr., I mean, we go through, uh, what's amazing is, you know, how many of them, uh, I think Gene Hackett has retired, but, you know, Clint Eastwood is still out there swinging. Yep. Uh, Lou Gossett yep. Jr. still out there swinging. Betty White, right up until she actually dropped dead, still out yep. there swinging. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and so it's kind of amazing that Woody, you know, working when allowed. <laughs> and, and and so on and so forth. So that's kind of amazing. And 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 yes, they're they're all way at the back. And Peter Peter Madonna, he was you know more more or less still working. I mean, he wouldn't he would not working. You know, still still yep. busy. Uh, um, uh, old man, old man. Um, uh, 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 not Reiner, but the uh, well Reiner. Uh, but the, oh oh uh, 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 yeah. Uh, 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 and Brooks and, and, and Mel Brooks. You know, both literally still working. Um, so if that's any any marker that, that you can actually literally oh um, uh, Mario Van Peebles' daddy uh, about a month ago oh, oh Melvin Melvin you know, Melvin right to the last yeah I, 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 I talked to, to something I ran in a documentary thing with with Mario Mario was like Melvin had a script open when he dropped in <laughs> he had a script he was <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned that because I, I I was telling you before the show I was just watching uh, Cotton Club uh, Redux last night and you know Mario is yeah, I forgot he was that. He was. He, I mean, I think he was. Well, one, yeah. I think they cut him out of the previous cut, but he's he's right there, you know, all glistening chests and you know. Anyway, um, and you know, this was this was another little bit of trivia. If anybody wants to take our our cue on this, and you want to write to the Academy and tell them that maybe they should get all the people who sang James Bond songs on oh, yes. stage for one last roundup at the Oscars before one of them starts to die, because they are all still alive. Yeah. No one who sang a James Bond song has passed. On the oldest is Shirley Bassey, it was 84, mm-hmm. uh, and she sang three. So, uh, but the, but the, and, but the youngest is, I think that list you sent me is like, I think the youngest was 71, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Rita Coolidge is 72, uh, Lulu is 73, Gladys Knight and Nancy Sinatra are 82, Tina Turner's 80 or, or 81, uh, Tom Jones is 81, Tina Turner's 82, Shirley Bass is 84, Paul McCartney 79, Carly Simon 76. And uh, if you want to go off canon, the uh, Lanny Hall, who sang the theme for Never Say Never Again, is 77. 
Now, obviously, that doesn't include, you know, all the recent ones, Madonna and but these are the ones that, that are like on the on the edge. And uh, I say get those, you know, surely Bassie's as healthy as, as can be. And same with, you know, the rest of them. Nancy Sinatra, I'm not so sure about. But, um, you know, get them, get them on stage, man. They're all still I'm around. I'm telling you. Look, <laughs> get, get them, and look, if somebody doesn't do something just with the fact of that, you know, uh, that's just do something. Just with the fact that the fans out there, some some clever person. We just told you something really interesting. Uh, you know, send us a link to the interesting little piece of media that you make out. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll here and just get some uh, get some of this music stuff off our plate real quick. Uh, we got it's it, it before music. I'm gonna make mention of the World Series stuff. The uh, the, the the Atlanta Braves. Won the World Series last year under uh, rather messy circumstances. Yeah. I prefer to be the Dodgers. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but whatever. Uh, there's a couple of releases from uh, the wonderful people at Shout and Major League Baseball. We've got the single disc 2021 World Series. <coughs> um, you know, basically the regular main primary disc, which which has Blu-ray and DVD discs in it. Uh, it's got you know the official series World Series film, season highlights, and things like that. And then if you want to go a little more hardcore. You get the uh, the the collector's edition, which features the documentary and all the stuff that's on the other disc, plus you know uh, uh, multiple audio options like you know for TV and home and radio, away radio, Spanish language broadcast. Um, it includes all of the uh, World Series games, the 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 six complete World Series games and the uh, the complete NLCS Game 6 as well. So that's a much more comp- uh, complete set. So both of these are out. And get whichever one fits your fancy if you're an Atlanta Braves fan. Um, and then we've also got on the music front a whole bunch of great things. We've got Eric Clapton, The Lady in the Balcony, <laughs> Lockdown Sessions, which is a Blu-ray and CD combo set. Um, this is uh, uh, a, a, a all part of a live performance that uh, he did in February 2021. These live shows at the Royal Albert Hall in London were canceled because of the pandemic. So what he did was he just brought his band together uh, separately in the countryside, and they did their own recording, right? They they just figured the Royal Albert Hall performances aren't happening, but we're still going to do this for the world. And anyway, they put this album together, and it's wonderful. And the Blu-ray is great, but, you know, the music's great to listen to all anytime it's they do Layla oh, yeah. you know, River of Tears uh, Man of the World nobody knows uh, when you're down and out uh, got my mojo working I mean and you know you're going to recognize all this stuff so it's really really wonderful and want to give a shout out to, to the rest of his band Chris Stainton Nathan East and Steve Gadd really really a nice release um, got a couple uh, got a couple of great time life sets here as well wasn't able to get these in the gift guide, but we've got Dolly, the ultimate collection, which is six DVDs, Dolly Parton. Woman is ageless. Mm-hmm. Is absolutely amazing. Uh, this, this goes, this is, you know, 11 episodes of her eighties variety show, her uh, London concert from 2009, a Christmas disc, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, the BBC documentary from 2019. Here I am really, really lovely. Uh, if you can't get enough of Dolly Parton, you're, you're just going to love it. And then we also have the best of share, which oh, is a five yeah. disc set, pretty much the same kind of stuff. 10 episodes of her show, yeah. which includes, you know, tons of great. People sometimes people forget about that share show. We think about the Sonny and share show, the share, but share had a show. She had her own yeah. show. 
Oh yeah. In fact, I kind of like her show better than the one she did with Sunny. Yeah. And, I, and and it's funny. I like Sunny and Cher independent of each other more than I like them together. <laughs> That's funny. It's it's a weird. It's a very weird thing. But uh, anyway, no. There's a lot of great stuff here. TV clips. Dick Cavett. Uh, interview, just really, really wonderful stuff. Interviews with Bob Mackie and George Schlatter, you know, all talking about her costumes and producing her. And then we've also got a um, uh, an interesting little two DVD set here. This is a a, um, uh, a TV movie thing called Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner and Friends. Um, it's oh gosh, I don't, you know, not my favorite thing. This is from MPI, but as long as we're talking about Dolly. Uh, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's, I shouldn't say a TV movie. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's, it's like just variety stuff, but it's very, it's, it's kind of vintage. It's young Dolly. And I don't particularly like this Porter Wagner guy. Do you know who Porter Wagner was? Am am I a country (laughs) for not knowing? I'm I'm from Missouri homes. (laughs) So yeah, I know who Porter Wagner is. Porter, Porter, Porter was the guy that wore those suits. Very loud, very Western with, with the danglies from them and the, with the boots and the whole thing. And he had the blonde popper dude. That's Porter. Oh, and, and that was not his name, Porter Wagner, for God's sake. Oh, I'm sure. Well, anyway, basic, basically, this is like, I guess, TV in 1967, late 60s. He had a TV show. Dolly came on to be part of the TV show. And that's basically what this yeah. is. But it's. But she has always credited, I mean, to her, to this day, Dolly Parton will credit Porter Wagner for giving her her start. He's, well, good yeah, for her. Good for her. That's what this is. But I, I recommend the other Dolly yeah. set. This, this one has this one has Porter Wagner, and he's a, he's a little yeah. Better. He was he was uh, he was, was, was kind of like the Liberace of country music. There you go. That's what bugged me. I knew something bugged me. Uh, we also have uh, Genesis, the Last Domino. Um, this is uh, a this is all kind of a behind the scenes thing for the Last Domino tour. And uh, it involves obviously a lot of dealing with COVID and everything else. And Genesis doesn't uh, Phil Collins and those guys. Yes, and and I'll say the the one thing that I found. I mean, it's very interesting. It's it's nice to see Genesis putting it back together, and the show looks great and all of that. Phil Collins obviously not playing drums because he physically yeah. is not able to. He's had a lot of physical challenges in in, in the last. Was it, years. Was it, was it MS? I can't remember. It's it's something degenerative. It's something degenerative. But but that's the thing that I found really deeply troubling about this is just seeing what has happened to, to Phil. He's not the Phil yeah. Collins we remember. Yeah. And so it's great that they're they're getting the band back together and doing this tour and prepping it, and it's very impressive. But it, there's a there's a sadness to it as yeah. well. Uh, and then uh, just kind of fly through a few more things from uh, the people at Naxos. We've got a few few great classical music uh, tidbits to throw your way. Idil Beret Beethoven playing the sonatas, Pathétique, Moonlight, Wallstein, Appassionata. This is on DVD, not Blu-ray. There's also an Ode to Joy uh, bonus performance. Idil Beret, absolutely uh, wonderful. Um, then we've got uh, The Taming of the Shrew as a ballet with the Ballet of Monte Carlo, choreographed by Jean-Christophe Maillot. This is from Opus Arte. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that I really get Taming of the Shrew as a ballet, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it works for somebody. Shostakovich wrote the music. Uh, I, I kind of prefer it just as, a, just as a play. I like ballet, but this one's a little bit strange to me. Uh, another blue, uh, Blu-ray from uh, Opus Arte, Offenbach's Barbe Bleu. 
uh, by the uh, Lyon Opera. I used to live near Lyon. It's a very lovely uh, opera they have there. It's a it's a nice big city, second biggest city in France, unless you count Marseille's uh, suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing debate. But anyway, uh, Offenbach, not my favorite opera uh, guy, but uh, this is nicely done. It's kind of a modern uh, interpretation of it. Uh, DVD only, also from Opus Arte, from the Royal Opera House, is Strauss's Der Rosenkavalier with the Royal Opera Chorus and the Orchestra of the Royal Opera House. Uh, Kiri Takanawa, beautiful, beautiful performance, wonderful uh, vocals. <clears throat> and then uh, from, uh, let's uh, hear the original three tenors. Oh, okay. uh, Carreras, Domingo, and Pavarotti, mm-hmm. conducted by Ruben uh, 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 Zubin Mehta in concert, Rome 1990. Uh, this is from uh, C Major and Decca. This is absolutely beautiful on Blu-ray. Don't miss it if you want to revisit that amazing evening uh, in 1990 in Rome. This also includes the brand new documentary from Caracalla to the World, which puts everything in perspective. But this is one of the great evenings of all time. If you do not own any classical music on Blu-ray, this is a great place to start. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream is a ballet version, and more Shakespeare turned into ballet. This is a ballet of Midsummer Night's Dream uh, by John Newmyer and the Hamburg Ballet, a very based on, very loosely, loosely based on Shakespeare. They take yeah. a lot of very kind of uh, avant-garde, postmodern liberties with it, and um, the music is sort of a, an interesting mix. It includes uh, Ligeti, the guy who wrote all that weird stuff that Kubrick used to use in in uh, 2001 and The Shining. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit strange, but it's okay. Uh, Placido Domingo at the Arena de Verona doing famous arias by Verdi and Giordano along with uh, Sayao Hernandez in the orchestra of the Arena de Verona conducted by Jordi Bernacker. It's lovely. It's just Domingo doing his thing. Um, got, uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Um... Uh, Jules Massenet Thais uh, the, with the uh, Orff Radio Symphony Orchestra and Arnold Schoenberg Choir. This is the uh, the Opera House in Vienna. Then we've got Bruckner and Wagner compositions uh, with the uh, Salzburger Festspiele. Let's see, this is all Unitel. Um, more uh, four uh, four live ballet performances. Martin Schlapper, uh, Hans von Manen. This is also the uh, with live music by uh, Franz Liszt. This is a little bit avant garde, kind of uh, more modern dance stuff with with song. I didn't quite get it. It's not my thing, but you know somebody will really vibe to it. Um, and lastly, on the Naxos front, uh, we've got DVDs only. A Rossini opera called L'Occasione Fa e Ladro. Didn't really watch much of this. I didn't really get it, but I'm sure somebody will. Ronaldo Hahn opera called Ciboulette, which is uh, very nicely staged. Uh, seems to be kind of deliberately kind of funny. This is done with the opera for, uh, in Toulon, the symphonic opera in Toulon, where I did live, mm. and I never had any idea there was an opera house. <laughs> I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, Rossini's La Chivico Stravagante. I'm sure I'm murdering all the Italian here, but you know. Yeah, yeah better, better uh, you than me. Yeah, and Jean Baptiste Lully's Atis, A T Y S. And then lastly, uh, Jean, Jean Joseph Cassanea de Mondeville, uh, an opera called Titon et Laurent. Never heard of it. 
don't really know what to make of it, but um, you know, for the opera fans out there, there you go. That's your that's your uh, that's your opera scratch and your your ballet scratch. Boom, boom. Um, Tim, should we talk about the fourth? Yeah, man. Because for one thing, I noticed two evil eyes. Uh, yeah, I'm two evil eyes. Dario Argento and George. Yeah, yeah. The 1990, 1990. I did the. Um, uh, the I, I wrote about about those movies, that movies, that set of movies uh, based on the Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, there, Adrian Barbeau and Harvey Keitel, and you know, yeah, I don't, uh, those were those were pretty cool. Kind of kind of Americanized, uh, you know, Giallo. It, it's very it's very interesting that George Romero and Dario Argento would come together on something like this. This is from Blue Underground, who's doing so much great, really cool, culty stuff. Uh, full 4K Ultra HD looks, you know, um, so good that you can tell it's fake blood. I don't know what it is about blood in Dario Argento movies, yeah. but it just it it doesn't look like blood that that I that I no no it, it, it never did and was never meant to. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it's, and it's, but, but it is, it, it is, it is, it is purposeful there. Uh, and, and, and plus Adrian Barbeau, I was going to say that again. Yeah, there you go. That's all yeah. I need to know. That's all I need to know. Well, it is, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and Harvey Keitel. I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly an unusual film and Martin Balsam is in this too. E.G. Marshall as well as John Amos. Is yeah. In yeah. So lots of extras here, uh, most of them on on disc two, but it's all you know interviews and and uh, and a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, but primarily interviews with just about everybody, including Pino Dinaggio, which is very nice. Uh, <clears throat> before we get to the biggie here, June mm, man, 1992 did the junkets for that too. My first time man. sitting down across from Tupac Shakur. And and you know my wife worked as an accountant on a, on a Tupac Shakur film. Uh, oh, bullet! Yeah, with with, with Mick yeah. Park at, at one point too. A really amazing, really a fascinating guy. You know, one of those just troubled artists who just brings so much. Like the art comes from the baggage, but the baggage also hinders the life. Yeah, well, dude, they're short, literally short in life. It was, it was I, the, the day that I talked to Tupac Shakur. Uh, he was 19 and I was 29. We were literally, I was literally a, a decade older than him. And, and I realized that we was over at the, that, that hotel on Hillguard, the fancy hotel on Hillguard at the corner of Hillguard and Leconte in Westwood, not fourth from UCLA. Uh, and, and I was sitting down to start with, I had already talked to Ernest Dickerson and Omar Epps and all those other kids that were in Juice. Tupac's first movie, Ernest Dickerson's first movie. Uh, and, and Tupac had a swagger. And, 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 you know, and I won't, I, I won't go into the specific things that he said as he entered the room, but they were things that I knew that as a 29 year old black man, I would never say walking into a room full of white people, <laughs> you know, yeah. Tupac not only said them, he said them really loud. <laughs> and then he sat down uh, and we had this wonderful conversation in which he quoted passages from because uh, he played he played Hamlet at, at that yeah, high school yeah. with Jada, and uh, he quoded all of that kind of stuff in Macbeth, and not only just quote them, but actually understood what they were about. Uh, and, and, and we talked about all kinds of things, and I thought to myself, this kid, this is a new generation of young black men. Um, uh, he's not from the NAACP, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, Martin Luther King generation. He's from a different generation. And this is the thing that this, this is true about that generation. They did not care what anybody thought about them or expected from them at all, even a little bit. Not black people, not white people, not anybody. They were going to live their lives full, whole, and complete. Interesting that 30 years old, earlier, Sidney Poitier 
was making the exact same point in a different way, you know, and, and, and these kids were just louder and had wilder haircuts. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I don't know, a super interesting thing. So many contradictions in him, and uh, they all kind of come out in this performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a hell of a film, and uh, I'm glad it's on Blu-ray. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's one of those films I wouldn't have expected to show up on Blu-ray, but it's got a lot of great uh, featurette stuff on here. Obviously, music video, um, and uh, and some interviews, and you know, EPK type stuff. Really, very interesting commentary with Ernest Dickerson, by the oh, way, yeah. who, who you know <clears throat> migrated from being Spike Lee's cinematographer to directing with this film, and, and does a great job putting his own stamp on it. And you know, this is a this is a tougher, more rugged film than uh, than I think even Spike would. Oh have yeah, been, but all, you know, all these people going on their careers, Omar Epps and, and, and Queen Latifah's in that movie, and uh, and then we've got. And then we've got Doom, no, which which you can watch on uh, HBO Max, or you can get it on the 4K Ultra HD and and throw it up on movies anywhere. And I'll tell you, I watched the, um, I, I I took a look at the streaming, uh, the 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 stream that is available on HBO Max versus the on call stream you can pull up from movies anywhere mm. versus the on call stream from Apple and the on call stream from Vudu. It's very interesting. I think Apple looks better than all mm. of them. I think Voodoo looks second best. HBO Max next, and then Movies Anywhere last. Oddly right. enough. Well, what, what's, what's the nature of... Is, are we just talking about resolution? Or, yeah, okay. Compression. Compression. It's just <laughs> compression. It's All of them are 4K. Uh, obviously, the disc looks the best. The sound is the best in the disc. If you want to really come close to experiencing this anywhere close to IMAX, and nothing will it will equal the IMAX version of this, which is just blows you out of the back of the theater. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, you, you got to get the disc. It's, it's still a very impressive film. But let's talk about this for a second, because, you know, this is considered uh, one of the Oscar frontrunners and, and whatnot. But... Tim, how do you feel about Dune? Well, you know, so that Dune, and then uh, uh, David Lynch's Dune, uh, and then I suppose you got that TV Dune uh, with uh, you know whoever, uh, which my wife also. Uh, um, uh, and uh, and so you know these Dunes we have, right? So you know my, um, and, and, and it's funny. So you know after watching that Dune, I decided to go back and watch David Lynch's Dune, and I, I, I had a better time. Obviously, this is a much more sophisticated Dune, a much more, but I had a yeah. better time. Rewatching David Lynch's Dune, that was infinitely more entertaining. <clears throat> and and I have to say, you know, Lynch's Dune is the complete story. This is now the beginning. Yeah, it's going to be another one of those. Yeah. This is there's going to be two more. They finally greenlit them. I don't know what they were thinking because this thing ends on a cliffhanger. It doesn't really go yeah. anywhere. It's sort of you know, this is literally like a first act of something. So it, it, there's no payoff here. It's all itch. It's all sin. So we really got. I, I feel guilty almost even reviewing this thing. I mean, does it work? Well, I don't know. I got to see the next two films to see if it works. Well, you know, Avatar, the first Avatar worked. You know, however long ago that was. <laughs> um, yeah. but, it, but but you know, I, I mean, I, relatively speaking, uh, but yet there are what two or three or four more to come, or whatever. Two more. Two more to come. Two more to come. Uh, but the first yeah, one, the first one is fine. Me. You know, I don't know. I. I 
I, I'll tell you, I, I kind of look at Peter Jackson, who has not really made anything other than Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films for the better part of the last 20 some mm. years. And I'm not sure I'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. I, that sounds like a case of burnout to me. Denis, Denis Villeneuve will wind up having like done nothing but Dune for almost a solid decade by the time this. Yeah, is. you know, you like him. And, uh, but, but again, uh, Cameron has been jacking around with those avatars for what now? You know, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, and so for them, I don't know. It'll, it might burn them out. But I got to tell you what, uh, um, they've definitely burned me out. <laughs> they, 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 <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm but, you, but it's not like this isn't a perfectly, um, uh, you know, uh, it's 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 fine. It's 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 fine. But I, I just noticed it as I'm, I, my attention was held much more firmly. By the David Lynch film, when I popped that sucker back in and got to watch him sting, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh wow, you know, this is this this I can't turn away from. The other one, I'm like, okay. We got some stuff from Cohen Film Collection. Uh, there's a lot of great lines. Remember, Cohen owns uh, Landmark Theater yeah. now, so they're they're all in. Got a couple of releases from their classics of British cinema line. Uh, the first is is an old Terrence Young film called Corridor of Ooh. Mirrors, which is a new digital restoration. Looks just freaking gorgeous. I mean, it really does. It almost, I mean, you put this on the right TV, it'll look like a nitrate print. Absolutely amazing. Um, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, an obs- it's a nice period piece and obsessive artist story. Uh, the very first film that Terrence Young ever directed. So, you know, you don't, he, it's not the same guy who'd go on to do Dr. No and, and other things. It's a very kind of neorealistic, uh, or, or not near it, but, uh, expressionistic. Mm. Sorry getting my but uh yeah it's it's uh it's a it's a lovely lovely film from 1948 and stars eric portman and uh you ought to see it it's fun they also have a, a double feature from uh classics of british cinema which also features eric portman in wanted for murder as well as dirk bogard in lewis gilbert's cast a dark shadow mm. uh these are british film noirs which are kind of you know they're basically like American film noirs, except people behave. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe the only way I can put it. Uh, and uh, the but the camera angles are great. Uh, the stories are really cool. The scripts are terrific. The performances are, are just spot on. Really, really fun stuff. But I especially just like Dirk Bogart and Cast a Dark Shadow. Dirk Bogart has one of those faces that's just it, it, it's both innocent and evil at the same yeah. time. And just such a gifted actor. Uh, from the Merchant Ivory Library, we have uh, Pierce Brosnan, The Deceiver. Oh, yes. Which I think is, you know, takes place in India. And uh, it's it's one of those, uh, you know, jewel in the crown type uh, British Empire things. But I actually think this is a really, really sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, late 80s. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. This, this age is much better in my memory than I remember it. And um, I, I really uh, like it quite a lot looking at it in, in hindsight. It was not directed by uh, James Ivory. No. It was a merchant Ivory. Ismail Merchant produced it. And Nicholas Meyer, that's right, Nicholas Meyer of Star Trek II fame uh, directed it, but it's certainly one of his better films. And Pierce Brosnan looking dashing. Wonderful and then East lastly, Indian. Uh, yeah, it, it's really good photography. Yeah. And then uh, last one from the Cohen collection is a classics of American cinema digital restoration of uh, It Happened Tomorrow with Dick Powell and Linda Darnell. And, uh, you know, I'm a big Dick Powell fan. Tim knows yeah. that. A lot, of, a lot of reasons for that. I've grown to be very familiar with Dick Powell's oeuvre. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, this was uh, uh, directed by René Clair, the famous French director. 
and uh, it's uh, quite charming. You know, this is uh, he was not able to go back to France during World War Two, so he made some films in the U.S. and this is one of them. And Dick Powell just always tremendously charming and and sweet. And Linda Darnell, really underrated uh, actress yeah. again. So uh, it happened tomorrow. Really, really fun French art house director uh, doing doing wonderful things with uh, an American cast. Uh, Tim, let's let's get into the the uh, the criterion. Oh, first up, the the immortal red yes. shoes on four K Blu Ray four K Blu Ray combo set. Um, I mean, the red shoes have never looked. Oh wow, <laughs> Alan Pressburger. Right, right, well, oh man. man, this movie, this movie, this movie. Yeah. It's 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 so gorgeous. This is I I think is this is this Martin Scorsese's favorite film? Oh yeah, well yeah, I think so. It, it, well, yeah, because you know yeah, obviously. Um, his 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 editor Thelma. Uh, 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 oh, uh, Thelma. Thelma uh, married to uh, uh, Michael Powell. <clears throat> right, <clears throat> right. That's right. That's the yeah. connection. I always forget that. Well, no, this is this is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, not really considered a musical, even though it kind of is, but just Technicolor galore and the 4K transfers from the 2009 restoration. So it is uh, it is amazing. Audio is uncompressed mono, which is a little bit weird. <sighs> So if you have a, a home theater, you want to, you might want to kind of tweak with your setup to get the audio coming out of all of your, your front speakers, the sides and the, and the center. So you get the real full benefit of it because it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's really a nice mix as well when the music kicks in. Uh, tons of extras on this thing. I mean, it's, you know, you can't even get into it, but there's the 2000 making, uh, making of documentary. Lots and lots and lots of stuff on here. There's an interview with uh, Telma Schoonmacher, which I didn't even bother looking at. Um, uh, that's from the uh, the 2009 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, there are audio recordings, which is really interesting, of Jeremy Irons reading excerpts from the novelization of The Red Shoes. And it's kind of weird. Uh, I mean, it's fine, but it's like it's very strange, especially if you watch the film first. Um, and then there's an animated film from uh, uh, 1948 called The Red Shoe Snatches. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is which is which is pretty cool. Um, so I mean, a lot of really interesting stuff on here for just this legendary film. And then we've got uh, we were talking recently about Gordon oh. Parks with the passing with the passing of Melvin of Mari of yeah. Melvin. And and I remember I asking you, you know, being that Melvin is from Parks Jr.'s generation, Gordon Parks preceding him, which is the more significant Renaissance man as far as the civil rights moment is concerned. And you said Melvin, which I thought was really interesting because mm. Gordon predates he does, he does. rather significantly. Um, fascinating life. The Learning Tree, based on his own uh, his own autobiography, yeah. and uh, then he made a movie of it in 1969, which kind of you know comes around right about the same time. There is Sweet Sweet yeah. Back, and uh, you know I, I always found that interesting. But The Learning Tree gets the Criterion treatment, yeah. and uh, there's a great new documentary on Gordon Parks out, which I just thought was so fascinating. But this is uh, this is an absolutely beautiful movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think the Learning Tree totally, particularly the cinematography that that, that opening scene with the tornado set out set in Kansas in the twenties oh, is just as Gordon. And, and and of course, Gordon would would, would be adept in in, in in the sort of visual landscape uh, that, that that he captured, you know, coming from still photography as he did one of the first, the first African American 
uh, uh, for Life, Life magazine, the first uh, African American to direct a studio film. That was just, this is a studio film. Right. Uh, uh, yep. uh, the, right. the Learning Tree. So he did. So a lot of the first there. The and it is autobiographical, and you know, so so the script and and, and some of that <laughs> that stuff, you know. But uh, a very, very powerful movie. I just remember as a kid, that was one of the films that they actually brought on a 16, 16 millimeter reels and showed to us. I, I would have been yeah. eight uh, uh, and, and, you know, in the learning tree. And I loved that it was about, you know, a, a sort of, you know, young, young black boy sort of forced to grow up too soon. Uh, but, you know, it, um, uh, it, was, it, it just had a lot of meaning for me and still does. Any, any, I, anything on that thing? Is, is, is that part of the criteria? Oh, so yeah, it's, it's just so much stuff. There's a um, uh, a documentary on the making of the film with Rhea Combs and Diane Archer, Ernest Dickerson, and Nelson George. Mm. There's a new conversation moderated by Michael Gillespie between uh, Hank Willis Thomas and uh, art historian Deborah Willis, which is all about Gordon Parks's influences culturally and artistically, and it's very interesting. Um, there's also a movie makers featurette on here uh, and there's a documentary, uh, my father, Gordon Parks, mm. that, uh, was done on the set of the film by Gordon Parks mm. Jr. Who, of course, as many people may not know, died tragically when he was, uh, very, um, scouting locations for Shaft and Africa, yeah, I think yeah. it was. Directed. Uh, very, very Directed, uh, and, you know, Gordon Parks himself would go on to do, yeah, that's right. Gordon Parks Jr. did Superfly, Gordon Parks did Shaft. Very interesting generational split there. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of 1968 films that, uh, that Parks was involved with, The World of Peary Thomas and Diary of a Harlem Family. And, uh, and then there's a wonderful 1963 Life uh, photo oh, yeah. that, uh, that he did, which, is, uh, it, you know, which was excerpted from his 2005 book. So, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stuff on here. It's, it's absolutely wonderful, and it's a historic film. It's a beautiful film. It's a poetic film. Uh, and then we've got One Night in Miami. Oh, yeah. Uh, gets the Criterion treatment right out of the gate, which doesn't happen to a lot of films. And I'm thrilled. Uh, this didn't get a whole lot of love for from the Oscars, but I thought it deserved a lot more. Regina King's directing debut knocks it out of the park. Absolutely terrific film with a great screenplay by Kemp Powers, who also wrote uh, the Pixar film. Uh, uh, what was it? The, the, the- oh, uh, 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 Soul. Soul, thank you, Soul. Um, but anyway, One Night in Miami is based on his actual yeah. play. Uh, did you ever see the play? I did, not, I, I did not see the play. I interviewed him, and we had a really interesting uh, uh, conversation. Uh, of course, he adapted his own play, and he, and, and, he, and he spoke specifically about how he was able to put so much more uh, into into the script for the film, which Regina. That's what I was wondering. That's what because yeah. Regina really makes yeah, it. Yeah. She does it. What's, what I thought was amazing was she directs it very classically, mm. but she preserves this, the play stuff, the, the character interactions. But she's able where in certain places to open yeah. it up. Like you know, you get to the Ali Fraser yeah. fight, right? You're you're there for that, and there's a wonderful little bit of sound work that she does, where the where the sound this crossfade with the sound. I mean, there's some really wonderful technical filmmaking here, but yet she understands her bread and butter is is these four characters, and this is actually kind of a a fictionalized story for those who yeah. don't know about an actual moment when after that famous Muhammad Ali fight, right before Cassius Clay becomes Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali officially to the cameras where Sam Cooke and Jim Brown and Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali were hanging out together at the same motel. A segregated motel, and this sort of theorizes as to what did those four people talk yeah. about? 
And I think it's an amazing, you know, I'm sure the real conversations were very different, but man, this is really good. And I think the casting is amazing. This Eli Gorey, who plays Muhammad Ali, oh, is fantastic. <laughs> he was fantastic. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of really great performances, but he is fantastic. Oh, he is so good. I mean, look, I love Leslie Odom Jr. I think Alice Hodge and and uh, and Kingsley Benadire are all really, really good. I think that it's just a terrific cast. But Eli Gorey is the one that stands yes. out because because we already have not only like fifty years of Muhammad Ali burned into our brains as to what he looked like and talked like and what his body was like, but we have Will Smith's transformation mm-hmm. into Muhammad Ali also burned into our heads from that Michael Mann mm-hmm. film. So now we are going to compare this poor kid, not only to the real Muhammad Ali, but to Will Smith doing Muhammad Ali. How are you going to measure yeah. up? If I'm this kid, I mean, what is he, 22, 21 years old, something like that. If I'm this kid, I'm like, I'm tapping out. No, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, but he did. No, he meant he did it. He rises to the occasion. He makes it his own. He is absolutely wonderful. And I, I tip my hat to him. He's absolutely spectacular. Um, a lot, a lot of great stuff on on this as well. You know the usual criterion uh, assortment of stuff, but the um, the you know there's a bit with uh, with Regina King and all the actors, which I, I say you you got to sort of deal with that. That's just fantastic and a great conversation between Regina King and Casey mm-hmm. Lemons. Really, really interesting. So uh, I, I recommend that as well. Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, I think we are going into what, uh, that classic fix. You got the Little Rascals, a three-volume set. Oh, yeah. Restored there. <clears throat> yeah, let's do some classic flick stuff. Little Rascals, three volumes. Uh, restorations, one, two, and three from Classic Flicks. That is uh, Classic Flicks with X at the end. You can go to ClassicFlicks.com and, and check this stuff out. Yeah, these Little Rascals restorations, and we're going to have more coming, are, are pretty great. They look really They are gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. The Little Rascal stuff that's been released previously is all mostly public domain. It's on DVD. It looks like crap. It's been transferred from, you know, somebody's 16 millimeter triple dub in the basement that got rained on and flooded somewhere in Nebraska. Uh, so Classic Flicks finally just grabs this stuff and they've, they've really, really done a great job cleaning this stuff up. I, I have to say, watching this again, and I, I grew up on these oh, yeah. things, I find them absolutely charming. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, uh, 11 separate shorts on, on each of these. And, uh, I have to say, uh, Spanky was too, <laughs> he might've been a little chubby <laughs> I, I, watching this now. There's a part of me cause you know, we're all about health yeah, no. and, 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 and I, you don't really see obese kids that age anymore. To at least not where I live, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, "Ooh, <laughs> like you know, ooh, child, child, child service." There's a problem. What's going on? There's a problem. With uh, the kid I mean, was was Hal Roach like, <laughs> like, was he doing a number with the craft services table? Was he uh, feeding the pork? I mean, man. I, you, look, you couldn't, you couldn't get away with Fat Albert you, you, uh, anymore either. First of all, you couldn't call that kid Fat Albert. <laughs> that, that would be uh, so inappropriate. <laughs> And then there's, of course, the problem that Fat Albert weighs 300 pounds. What the hell are we doing? Oh, man. <gasps> but I'll tell you, Jack, Jackie Cooper, seeing little Jackie Cooper uh, is no, yeah. so, so – he's wonderful as a kid. And, you know, I, my Jackie – I didn't grow up with Jackie Cooper here. I grew up with Jackie Cooper. Yeah, the you know, yeah, Superman. Superman. Yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah, right, as the editor of the, the paper. Daily Planet. Daily yeah. Planet and Superman. 
so, you know, when you see that face imposed on a little kid and you realize what a great actor he was, just so. Was Dean Stockwell a rascal? Dean Stockwell was a rascal, was he? Yeah. He was, yeah. He was, he was, uh, Dean Stockwell was a rascal, and so was Robert Blake from the very, very last class. Those have not yet been. Ah, uh, so, we lost Dean not too long ago. But, okay, interesting. Uh, Robert Blake's story. Yeah, so more, more will be released, but boy, these are, uh, these are, these are pretty great. And, uh, you know, early, early talkies. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're a whole lot of fun. Uh, also from Classic Flicks, we have the Abbott Costello Show Season 1 mm-hmm. on Blu-ray, looking great. This is from 3D Film Archive and Classic Flicks, lot, uh, working also with the Library of Congress. Some really funny stuff here. 26 episodes in a three-disc set. Uh, the other seasons soon to come. They have been released before, but they look better now than ever. And then uh, we got some old movies on Blu-ray and DVD. One on Blu-ray, two on uh, DVD. I wish they were all on Blu-ray, but they can't do it, I guess. Uh, this is all from the Silver series of their movie classics. The, uh, the one on Blu-ray is World War II spy thriller called International Lady, which I had never seen before. Actually quite fun. Not, you know, amazing from 1941. Uh, kind of a, you know, a... Um, a, 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 a World War II is underway. The United States has not yet entered uh, entered the war, so this is kind of a um, a spy thriller designed to be a little bit of a of a, a propaganda mm. film, and uh, deals with you know uh, these these saboteurs and uh, an FBI agent working with a guy from Scotland Yard to you know played by Basil Rathbone. I mean, it's it's fine. Uh, you know, it's 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 fun and a little bit mindless, and and does the, does the job. And then on DVD only, we've got a screwball comedy called Young and Willing mm-hmm. from 1943, and then a uh, romantic western uh, called Silver Queen from 1942. And these are these are a little bit kind of unknown films, but they're worth checking out as well. George Brent, who who's also in uh, uh, International Lady, is is a star of uh, uh, Silver Queen. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some fun stuff in Young and Willing as well. I mainly because it's got a young William Holden, Hayward, and Eddie Bracken in it. So it's a really, really good cast. Uh, so you might want to check that out. And, uh, that's that for classic flicks. Cool, cool, cool. Film detective, uh, Flight to Mars. Life at, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 no, go ahead. Well, Ed, uh, Flight to Mars is, is the biggie. Yeah, 1951. I, I just always dug that film. It was, it was just, I just thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh so what, what's, what's on that? Is that film detective? Only a few, only, yeah, only a few special features. Uh, it's a 4K restoration. It's a, it's a Blu-ray, but it's a 4K restoration. Uh, a couple of documentaries. One, uh, Walter Marish from Bomba to Body Snatchers and Interstellar Travelogues, Cinema's First Space Race. That's very interesting. Walter Marish, by Mm -hmm. the way, is 100 years old. He made it. He made it to where, you know, we're hoping that... Oh, oh, and by the way, we should point out today is the night, as we are recording this, is the 99th birthday of Larry Storch. Larry Storch. Larry Storch. (laughs) Corporal Agarn also uh, started with Forrest Decker, his his, uh, his WEF troop star on uh, the original Ghostbusters TV show, which has nothing to do with me. No, <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- that was, that was a Sid and Marty Croft thing, but yeah, he's 99 today. No, Walter Marish is a hundred. So uh, that's all there is on this, but yeah, uh, you know, this was one of Walter Marish's genre pieces and uh, it- it's kind of cool. Uh, the-, the effects really do hold up, don't they? Yep. Yeah. There's an audio commentary by Justin Humphreys. Um, then we also have Hercules and the Captive Women. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make No. <laughs> you can't even have that title today. <laughs> you just can't. Uh, 
this was from that era of Hercules movies, 1961. Uh, you know, it's one of those Italian Hercules movies. Yeah. They were they they were basically doing spaghetti westerns. Yeah, it's it's uh, there, there's there's just nothing that works on this thing. It's just it just it makes no sense. These are just excuses for Italian bodybuilders to get work and for Italian women to wear as little. <laughs> I think that's that's uh, what because I just asked right. Why am I watching all these? Hercules movies, and then I realized, oh, it's because these women are wearing. <laughs> that's why I'm watching these movies. That's what's going on. The 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 art the artwork alone just makes me laugh. I mean, it makes me so laugh, and I have to describe this. There's a tagline: "Could she subdue this giant yes. man with her sorcery?" And here's the picture: you have a picture of a man from behind, waist down, wearing like one of those little Roman, <laughs> right? So, like, just barely below his <laughs> manly parts. And he's holding and he's holding an upside-down goblet with the wine dripping out of it. And through his legs, you see this woman with her hand in a bikini with her hands bound behind her back and her head conspicuously right peering <laughs> up at his groin. It is so, it is so risque. I'm looking at this, I'm like... Did they actually advertise it with that artwork? Are you kidding me? That was me? on the wall in front of a that's, theater. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness yeah. gracious. And then we've also got an old movie from a film detective called A Life at Stake with Angela Lansbury and Keith Andes. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, one of those Angela Lansbury movies that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, but it's, it's from 1955. It's perfectly fine. It's, uh, it's a little indie production that... Uh, you know, kind of a mystery thriller, quasi noir thing. Um, it, you know, it, it's got a lot of noir uh, cliches in it, but it's okay. You know, Angela Lansbury is not exactly a femme fatale, but she does a good job. And uh, there's some great extras on here, including a commentary by a film scholar named Jason Nay or Nye and E Y. And it's it's good. It's mm. good. Uh, let's talk for a second about these. Um, um, Mill Creek uh, VHS oh, yeah. throwback jobs that they always do, where make it you know like they make it look like an old VHS. Kevin Sorbo as Cull the, Cull the Conqueror. I had for that's what got him hurt. Oh yeah, isn't it? oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, what you said. Mid 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 nineties or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Tia Carrere. Yeah, all those. Yeah, yeah. It's so- Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, kind of, kind of. I've totally forgotten. I thought Hercules was the no, first thing no, he no, did, but no, it was Cole. No, Cole. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. He, he looks exactly like Hercules, but yeah, <laughs> Cole. Well, that's what did it. He he was good without a shirt. Uh, casual sex. Oh yeah, Leo Thompson. Was, yeah, you know um, the the thing I remember about this is that Dice Clay yeah. basically stole the movie by being the 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 pig that <laughs> yeah, constantly in his yeah, chest. Became, yeah, the, but Victoria Jackson right off of SNL with this and, and Leah Thompson, uh, I guess, you know, I, Ivan Reitman produced this. It's kind of funny. Well, I, I don't know if it holds up, but at the time, 1980, whatever the heck it was, it was a cute little sexy movie. Uh, sort of putting women at the center of a story about, you know, casual sex. These women want to want to have a little fun uh, without uh, all the stuff. Mary Gross, I remember, was in this movie, really sexy. I I see Mary Gross all well. I used to see Mary Gross all the time before the yeah. pandemic. You see her all the time at the yeah. market. Another another SNL uh, veteran, uh, sister of uh, Michael Gross from Family Ties, uh, and then the last two here. And I love how they put the stickers. Those stickers that used to always be on the, oh, yeah. the rental store. Uh, we've got Splitting Airs and Renegade. oh Renegade uh, Jack Jack Shoulders film. Yeah, I, I, yeah. 
I, I want to say you probably I did this junket for that for sure. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland, Lou Diamond, Jamie Gertz, you know, all of whom uh, were like big, big, big movies. This is what it's just like 89, 99, so whatever. All these big, big, big yeah. movie stars at that time. Yeah, 89. Yeah. 89. Yeah. Yeah. 89. Yeah, there was. Yeah, that was that was quite the time. I remember that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's got, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those Regency uh, productions at the time. Uh, and then Splitting Air is kind of a weird comedy. Eric Idle. Oh, that, uh, yeah, Rick, Rick Moranis, Moranis, yeah. Very young Catherine Zeta-Jones and Barbara Hershey with not much to do. And John Cleese completely miscast. This is a weird yeah. movie. Um, very, very strange movie. Robert Young directed for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. It's like... You know, this is one of those movies from the uh, from from like the eighties, nineties period where I look at it and I just think, how did those people and that material all come together? I don't understand. That would never happen today. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Just, it just it just it just wouldn't. But anyway, very very uh, kind of a weird anomaly. But there it is. Uh, should we do some? T- absolutely. Yeah, uh, Creep Show season two. Season two of Creep Show. Uh, that's. How do we feel about Creep Show? I'm not a big Creep Show fan. Uh, uh, none of the none of the sort of recreations of any of the great shows of my youth um, make me happy. Yeah, this is this is an AMC series, uh, uh, part of the 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 Shutter uh, <coughs> Empire of stuff. You know, this has like a like a Creep Show animated holiday special on it. I'm not sure why anybody would watch that. Uh, 11 Tales on this Blu-ray of season two. I I think the original Creepshow movie was fine. I think Tales from the Crypt as a television series was was fine mm-hmm. as first mm-hmm. run. I feel like that there's not a lot of, I, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit to try to squeeze all these episodes out under the Creepshow brand. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't quite work for me. But a lot of people on this thing... Kevin Dillon, yeah. Ted Raimi, brother of uh, of uh, Sam Raimi, uh, C. Thomas Howell. Um, who else is on this thing? Uh, uh, Molly Ringwald shows up. Dee Crosby, Keith Davis, oh, Keeper Sutherland. Just talked about Keeper Sutherland. Yeah, uh, you know, I I guess season two. But there it is. Anyway, uh, you know, it's not my taste. But again, it, it wouldn't have made it to season two if people didn't absolutely mm. love it. Well, I, I see uh, that the, I see that Rick and Morty Steel Book. Yeah. What is this, like season five? Season five. Season five Steelbook. Blu-ray and a uh, a digital code, which will get you a, a, a voodoo uh, access, if, if nothing else. So you can watch your Rick and Morty. I'm not a huge Rick and Morty fan. I know people who love this. It was funny for a while, but the joke gets old. Yeah. We also have The Prodigal Son, the complete second season. Uh... Didn't really quite latch on to this either, to be honest. I probably should have given it a little bit more time. Uh, I, I and, and I think I under I, I think the reason that I didn't quite latch on to it is because the whole uh, Silence of the Lambs was the first time that we ever were exposed to someone to the psychological aspect of profiling, mm-hmm. right? That was the first time, and then we had a few movies with profilers. I, I think Denzel played yeah. profiler in one yeah. of them, and then and then we had like. Seven television series about profilers, yeah. including one called The Profiler. Uh, yeah, including one called The Profiler. And some of them are mystical, magical profilers. Some of them are just you know super Sherlock Holmesy type profilers. And this guy in this series, he's you know he's he's, he's a profiler, but he can see the crime. He's kind of like Dexter because Dexter was the, was the killer. 
Yeah, I guess he was a right. corner or whatever it is. It was the same kind of thing. Uh, uh, so yeah, you know, he can see it from the perspective of the killer. You know. So so I I think it's a nice move that they added Catherine Zeta yeah. Jones season two. She does bring something. It's more than she does in splitting airs. You know, thank goodness she's getting more to do. But I I don't know, man. It just doesn't. It's still I have a hard time with the concept. Maybe I'll try some more episodes another time. Uh, uh, what is on Eli Eli Ross' history of horror uh, season two? So so we've got a bunch here from uh, from AMC. A lot of shows that they're from AMC. That's one of them. Eli Roth's history of horror season two. Uh, I think that's kind of you know got the same problem as Creep Show. To mm. be honest, uh, it just you know uh, it, it's it, it's this is an anthology show of interviews. It's not you know, horror anthologies, but it still kind of belabors the point just a little bit. I think um, it, you know this is this has interviews with Stephen King and Quentin Tarantino and uh, Rob Zombie and and uh, you know slash and uh, you know i it, it seems like it's a little bit um feels a little bit kind of all over the map uh i i appreciate looking into the craft and and kind of trying to uh, pull the, the curtain back a little bit but i don't know it I don't feel like I learned a whole lot, to be mm. honest. I don't, I don't feel like I learned a whole lot that I didn't already know previously. Um, as long as we're on other AMC shows, got a couple of seasons here of dramatic mm. shows, Gangs of oh, yeah. Heaven season one, and Discovery of Witches season Oh, I love, I love, I love um, Discovery of Witches in particular. Uh, you know what? Gang, and, and let me just say, Gangs of London, I think, has promise. I, I've watched a little bit of this. Uh, I'm really kind of starting to get into it. I think there's a lot of it. Cole Meany is really good. So I think I'm, I'm looking forward to where this goes in the remainder of the show. I have to watch and, and, and obviously another season but yeah let's talk about Discovery of Witches for a yeah. second um, really a good looking I like the beef in London and it just is so gorgeous uh, the way they shot it yeah it's, 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 it's it was just so, uh, a, a dramatic romance really but it's just so well done there are a lot of these uh, running around well, some look better than others it's based on some it's based on some books, I guess, by someone named Deborah Harkness, yeah. whose books I've never no. read. I'm sure no, 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 no. you probably love them. But yeah, I, I think the recreation of London, that that whole uh, Shakespearean era, Elizabethan era London is really very sharp. I mean, they, they it's just beautiful. Ten episodes and they pour all of their, their money into the into the production value. It's really very sharp. Absolutely. Very, 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 very sharp. Uh, yeah, let's see what other things we got here. Uh, we've got some PBS. You got some PBS stuff there? It's, it's Baptiste uh, Grantchester. Yeah, Bat- Baptiste and Grantchester. Baptiste season two on DVD and Grantchester, the complete sixth season, is a part of the Masterpiece series, uh, Masterpiece Mystery. Uh, both of these, uh, Masterpiece Mystery. Uh, you know what You know what I love about Baptiste? Yeah. Uh, it's just a great cast. Yeah. Just a great cast. Chucky Cario uh, and Fiona Shaw, two, I mean, wonderful actors that did, you know, were great in movies in the 90s, and they're not doing TV as often as the yeah. case. But they're just they're just really great actors. And I I think it's a I think this is just a wonderful, wonderful showcase for the two of these. Uh, it takes place in uh, in the underworld of Budapest. And uh, Budapest is a great backdrop for for anything, but very, very cool. I like, I like Baptiste. Grantchester has been on for, for yeah. um, I, I'm a little, I'm going a little bit tired of Grantchester. Um, whenever I watch it, it kind of feels like they're doing the same thing. It's a little bit like long yeah. order, but whatever. 
<clears throat> let's see what are the other fun things we hear uh tim we got a bunch of stuff from acorn tell me which of these you respond to if any jack irish hinterland my life is murder miss fisher's modern murder mysteries the heart guy and whitstable pearl jack irish, no jack irish is that australian series uh, yeah, it's the, the, the guy Pierce. Pierce. That's actually yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 actually pretty interesting too. Yeah, I like that. I like it. It's a, it, you know, it's out it's outback noir. Uh but Guy Pierce uh somehow still looks the same as he did 30 years ago. I'm not quite sure what what he's doing. Yeah. It's an Aussie, maybe an Aussie thing, I don't know. But didn't didn't work for Paul Hope. <laughs> Well, Paul Hogan was old as hell when he made that first crocodile dug death. He was almost 60. <laughs> Paul Hogan was almost 60 40 years ago, so Paul, he might be 100 years old now. Hinterland. Uh, 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 I don't know that series. What's, what's about it? So, this is, Hinterland was a short, a very short series. This is a detective drama. Um, I, 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 I like it, but it's, it's a little bit derivative. Uh, it won a, a whole bunch of these awards from BAFTA and some others, and it's um, uh, it, it's one of those it's one of those London British police dramas that gets very very interior and goes to a remote location where that remote location can be the metaphor for all of the dark things that are happening. Mm. Right. So very often it'll be like, well, they've gone to you know the moor or they've gone to some other you know, very remote location, or sometimes it'll be in Scandinavia or wherever the case is. And, uh, and, and here they are, they are in this place called Aberystwyth, Aberystwyth, I guess. Um, Okay. And so, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, he's been, you know, he spent all this time on the London police force and now he goes to this remote place and the, on the coast and, you know, uh, he brings all of his psychological baggage with him, and you know, despite all of this beauty on the coast, there's something dark happening. So you get a little—it's a little uh, Twin Peaksy, I guess, right? There's, I mean, there are a number of British shows like this, but I mean, the the acting is great. The acting is absolutely terrific, and uh, Richard Harrington, who who stars in this, was previously in Poldark and Bleeding. Yeah. House, he's really, really good. He's a really, really good actor. So, uh, Hinterland Complete Collection, uh, not on Blu-ray. It's only on DVD. But uh, we're I dig that Lucy Lawless series. My life is murder. Um, uh, she's she's an yeah, ex cop or whatever it is. Uh, Lucy Lawless. Oh, yeah. murder. That's 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 a good one too. Um, uh, that's is that a part of the Acorn? <laughs> Excuse me. My life, yes, my life is murder, and and it's funny because she doesn't even look like Lucy Lawless. Anymore. Yeah, Xena Warrior Princess, as it were. I know it's kind of kind of weird for for an Acorn show, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, we also we all, we often forget that Lucy Lawless is not an American, no. <laughs> right? No, this takes place in New Zealand, and uh, so she's gone back to uh, back to the, uh, the the the. So she's not being Xena anymore. She's just she's actually being an yeah. actress, and uh, so it, it, there's an interesting angle here, which is that she's she's lived she's someone from New Zealand who's lived uh, for uh, a long someone from New Zealand who's lived for a long time in Australia, and she goes back to her small town in New Zealand. And now has to uh, start investigating murders. And, uh, you know, she has this woman played by Ebony Vagulins uh, from The Heart Guy, who's her partner. And, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's perfectly serviceable as far as a kind of British style mystery series that is now transposed to New Zealand. Um, but, I mean, you know what? Lucy Lawless is great. She's 
very different. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not Zena. Yeah. It's not Zena. Kind of, I think it's kind of fantastic. Did we do the heart guy yet? The heart guy season we five. We did not. Yeah, it's, uh, that's just on DVD. That's just the that's just season five of the Heart Guy, and that's been there's not much more you can really say about that. Uh, Roger Corser is still playing the uh, the Heart Surgeon on this show, and uh, you know it's uh, it, it's fine. It, it's a you know it's a freaking medical show, and they are pretty much the same the world around. But I, I am waiting for for Roger Corser to show up in something here, some movie or something somewhere. Uh, we also have uh, more murder mystery in Whitstable, Perth, oh, yeah. which is which is which is uh, also find some good acting here as well. And then uh, Miss Fisher's Modern. Oh, I like that one. It's set, it's set in, yeah. it's set in uh, Melbourne in the sixties. So it's yeah, so... that's that's what's the the fashion. Oh yeah, fun, isn't yeah, it? fashion's great. Uh, yeah, that one, that one's really, really fun. This is the, this is eight episodes in series two and uh really nice period of recreation there. It's really, really good. Uh, I, I, am inclined to believe that Joel Jackson's character on this, the reason they named him James Steed. I'm sure it's a, it's a nod to the Avengers. You don't do that without, without, uh, some deliberation. Um, you know what? Uh, I real quickly, are there any other TV things that you want to dive into? I think, yeah, yeah, I think we're pretty good there. Uh, let's see. Just a couple of, you know, real, real fast here. Let me just um, pull these out because these are kind of uh, <clears throat> a little bit of a major thing because uh, we're going to run out of time here momentarily. But the there are three from the greatest teleplays of all time <clears throat> series, uh, which are really interesting because a lot of this stuff people don't realize that there used to be a thing called live no, uh, where they would do these teleplays. Yeah. And there's some really, really good ones here that have been released in this series. There's a trilogy featuring Paul Newman, uh, The Army Game, The Rag Jungle, and Five in Judgment. Uh, David Susskind produced all of these. David Susskind, huge yeah. producer. We you know get a lot of these David Susskind things. But uh, Five in Judgment, The Rag Jungle, The Army Game, all of them television, you know, hour-long TV plays, uh, Five in Judgment. It's only about a half an hour. But uh, all of them featuring uh, Paul yeah. Newman. And and uh, you know, really peddling his 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 uh, practicing his craft in the mid nineteen fifties. And uh, what's interesting is Five and Judgment co-stars a young Jack yeah. Ford, looking pretty great. He's not yet, you know. You, you're like, oh, that guy's gonna be in Hawaii. <laughs> and and then we also have uh, Harvey, not the movie, but a TV uh, version of it with Art Carney, Fred Gwynn, Elizabeth Montgomery, and Charlotte oh, Ray. Wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. Uh, directed by my old professor, George Schaefer. Uh, I always, you know, it's funny when George Schaefer was teaching our class, he'd come out like he was hosting <laughs> Earl Fat Tiny Tea Puck, and he'd tell us all these great stories and this and that and the other thing. And then I'd always think, but I've never seen any movies that you directed. <laughs> I, I, like, literally, I've never seen a thing you've directed. And you're talking about all these stars you've worked with. This is like, he worked with them all on TV, doing yeah. TV. Uh, but you know, uh, Art Carney is terrific. Uh, very different interpretation from Jimmy Stewart in the movie. And, uh, this was originally a stage play. Yeah. So very, very, very fun. Um, and then the last one is the power and the glory, oh, wow. which is very intense. Uh, Lawrence Olivier, Julie Harris, George C. Scott, Patty Duke, Kanan Wynn and Roddy McDowell. Come yeah. on. Directed by Star Trek veteran, Mark Daniel. Oh, wow. Fantastic. It's great. Uh, and this is this is uh, takes place in the 1930s during the uh, a period where there's a, very, a lot of tension in Mexico and about a Catholic priest who who uh, is, goes to Mexico to be a bit of a missionary 
And uh, Laurence Olivier is is really pretty great, you know, under with all the political and religious tumult going on in Mexico at the time. It's pretty, pretty great. And uh, and then there's like this, you know, then somebody's coming after him to kill him and it turns into a little bit of a noir and it's kind of weird, but that's OK. Uh, it's well, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty nicely done. Mark Daniels directs the hell. Yeah. Out. So uh, let's see what else are we, we gonna, what else do you want to cap off with there? Tim? Uh, let's Anything see. Else? I'm just under new. Uh, we, we, we have a few things, uh, malignant, uh, uh, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and a couple other things, just, you know, just, just, just in terms of new stuff. Oh, and Zola. And Zola. Zola was kind of, do you want to talk about Zola for a second? Cause I was in the running for our awards that kept popping up left and right. And I hadn't seen, it. I, I really liked it a lot, particularly that performance from Taylor Page. And Riley Keough, for that matter, too. And for that matter, also, Coleman Domingo. Uh, and it's, it's sort of like this, this, based on this loosely told true story, this young black stripper who meets this young white stripper who thinks she's a young black stripper. And they go on a road trip to Florida uh, together uh, and, and end up in a, in, in a, in a wacky caper film. It's sort of like loosely based on a true story. It's just, it's just a couple of uh, a great performances in a really dashing uh, sort of bouncy film that's mostly funny. And, yeah, it's I, I was I mean, I hadn't you know, I, I, I didn't get to it because nobody was raving about it. And then everybody started voting for it on the on voting day. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say so? Because <laughs> yeah, I would have I prioritized it. But yeah, I, I love Taylor. Oh, she's fantastic. She's absolutely wonderful, yeah. and uh, and and Riley Keough as well. And and you know these are these are some good, very talented actresses and, and actors, and we'll see a lot of them. Um, yeah, talk about *Malignant* for a second. Uh, that was another one that that uh, was off my radar, and then everybody like you and Bob Strauss and a lot of other people started. Well, it was it was actually a pretty good film. Uh, 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 let me let me let me get my data. Here uh, up on the film, it's 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 a it's a it's a darker and, and more well constructed film, uh, horror film uh, than than a lot of these films uh, have been before. Um, oh man, uh, it, it, James it, it, Wan, of it, it, course, uh, directly. And it, yeah. it's, it's just kind of neat. So you have this this this, this woman who's who's just she gets she has these visions of these murders, and they paralyze her. Uh, and, and, and it's really a very, very dark film. Now, when you're watching this film, this film is, is making references to not only to other horror films, but to horror films in general. Uh, and, and, and it really gets sort of interesting in the way that these things are sort of all laid together. And you got a whole bunch of really sort of good, good performances. It's a neat movie. And then there's one that Luke Thompson uh, put right at the top of his list and recommended that I didn't pay attention to. And uh, it's the show, uh, which is the Alan Moore thing, written by Alan Moore. Alan Moore, you know, disowns almost everything that's adapted from anything he's written, but he wrote this straight up, and uh, it's pretty sharp. I I think this is really cool. It's it's kind of a cool, wild fever dream of a of a comic booky noir. Yeah. Um, really, you know, very psychedelic and kind of almost uh, uh, LSD inspired in some respects, but. You know, pretty much everything Alan Moore has some element of that. Uh, but, Alan Moore, uh, Watchmen, Alan Moore, that guy. Yeah. yeah, Watchmen, Alan Moore. But but I'll say this: uh, for what it is, I prefer this to the new uh, the new Matrix film immensely because I hate that. Oh, that resurrection thing over there. <laughs> you, 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 know what I, you, you know what bugged me most about that film? That, what, what that film says is. Uh, the investment that you put into all of the previous Ma- Matrix films, but certainly that first yep. Ma- Matrix film, I kind of ignored the other two yep. anyway. It, but but, but yep. basically, it says the investment that you put into that film, that those, those characters and, and everything, that was completely wasted investment. 
I agree. Because, because here we are 20 however many years later, and you know what? You're still in the Matrix. Well, how about fuck you? Uh, then, uh, if you know, I can't stand that. That just really, really, really bugs me. And uh, and then and and then it sets you up to keep you in the matrix forever. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a betrayal yeah. that I was not yeah. fond of. Yeah, you know, there's a here's a film that uh, before we we run out of time, I really want to give a give a good shout out to uh, South of Heaven. A a and he, you know one of the problems that I have with Jason Sudeikis is that he's he has the Will Ferrell mm. problem coming out of SNL, mm. right? Which is that he has a funny face, <laughs> and 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 you know for him to play a dramatic character is a, he's got to invest a lot. He's got to dig himself out of your expectations of him, out of your preconceptions, mm. out of the the all the baggage that we have of him doing you know all the stuff that he's done, the the Jersey guy on the you know what up with that sketches and all the junk that he's done, and. Damn, if he doesn't do it, yeah. I'll tell you, it's very impressive. He plays a guy, this is really interesting, it's a love yeah. story, basically. Jason Sudeikis and Evangeline Lilly, um, he's a guy that's, that, that spent time in prison, and, and you'll find out why, because he's a nice guy, right? I mean, he's a nice guy. Like, why are you in prison? Why did you kill somebody? What got you into prison? And it's a fascinating dilemma that got him there, because he did out of love. And Evangeline Lilly, he's getting out now, and she's got yeah. cancer, and he wants to do right by her. But then he's Shea Wiggum plays this crooked parole officer. Mike Coulter plays this crime lord. And they have all of this stuff going on that drags him right back into the middle of it. And somehow, in order for him to be a really good guy and do right by her, he's got to go dark again. Yeah. He's got to go really dark. Yeah. It's a really interesting psychological journey. He does not fall prey to the funny stuff at all. I mean, he really, really he he cuts a he cuts a line right down the middle. I think this is a really sharp little movie, and uh, I, I don't know how well it did theatrically, obviously because of the yeah. pandemic and everything else. But man, I really I, I I really urge people to check this out. South of Heaven, uh, terrific little kind of micro noir, quasi romantic noir with Jason Sudeikis, Evangeline Lilly, Shea Wiggum, and yeah. Holter. Really good. Nice to see Mike Coulter do something other than well, not just Luke Cage and <laughs> Luke or, 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 or some of just you know heroic guys. I like him when he plays a little, you know, figures it a little bit dark. Oh, he's 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 plenty yeah. dark here. You know what? He's dark. He's dark with but but yet caring because there's a whole. He's a family yeah. man too. You know, like he's a, he's a crime lord, but he loves his family. He loves his kid. He, it, he's, he's a family man who wears V-neck sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> a, gangster, a gangster who wears v next sweaters, I should say. But yeah, you know, uh, and and just to wrap out real fast here, because uh, I want I want this is the the last thing I want to put on everybody's radar, because we, and we'll, we may talk about this on the next show a little bit more. Um, we're starting to get Shaw Brothers movies. Oh yeah, that thing. And, yeah, man, I'm telling you. The so first of all, we've got a, a great release here of an old Shaw Brothers classic, uh, Disciples of Shaolin. Which uh, is is one that is far too often forgotten. Comes with a ton of extras on this thing. I think it's absolutely wonderful that they've uh, they put this together. It comes out with uh, both English and uh, Mandarin audio on it. Uh, lots of notes and interviews, and it's it's just really really sharp. This is a a real Shaw Brothers classic. Great choreography, great fight stuff. Uh, a good standalone film. However, and and good for regions A and B. By the way, if you're uh, going to be you know, recommending this to friends in, in other regions. However, this is the one you got to oh, get. Yeah. The Shaw Scope Volume 1 boxed set, which is like my dream come true. I've been waiting for this forever. Uh, the Shaw, the people who own the Shaw Brothers Library have not done the greatest job of exploiting it. So they're finally, 
finally through Arrow, we are getting these, um, this, this, these amazing Shaw films. Thank you, Arrow. My goodness. Really, really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and it's the Celestial Library. The Shaw films belong to the Celestial Library. And this is what you get on eight uh, discs plus uh, two additional um, bonus discs, nine and ten, that have, you know, like music on them. And, you know, they're CDs. The, the, the last two discs are CDs. But the, the, the official uh, eight discs, um, uh, the, the, DVD, the Blu-rays, contain uh, the following films. King Boxer, The Boxer from Shantung, Five Shaolin Masters and Shaolin Temple on one disc, uh, Mighty Pig King Man, Challenge of the Masters and Executioners from Shaolin, Chinatown Kid, uh, The Five Venoms, amazing, with Crippled Avengers on disc seven, and then on disc eight, Heroes of the East and Dirty Ho. H-O, <laughs> character named Ho, not Dirty Ho, don't, don't get all, you know jump ahead of me there but um it, these are an it's an I, I mean i can't even go into each individual film they're amazing they come with uh you know some interviews and some commentaries and a lot of great stuff on them. it's a really really great box set it's amazing it's volume one so save your save your uh, your dimes because there are a lot more to come there are literally thousands of these yeah, movies yeah. So you might wind up with hundreds of these box sets and that's yeah baby. we are done all right uh, Tim, let's uh, let's let's hope everyone you know stays well and whatnot. We'll be back in uh, in a couple of weeks, and hopefully nobody else dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, cheers, hoping that well, happy new year to everyone. It's you know, it's a happy new year to everyone and all of those out there who are near a hundred or over. Uh, hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We'll, we got Bill Shatner. We got uh, we got a whole bunch of folks, you know. Yeah, man, we got, yeah. hang in there. Hang in there, Bill. 